from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! I'm 24-7 Sports Director Scouting Adam Finkelstein. I'm with Eric Bossi and Travis Branham, and we are breaking down the end of the early signing period. And, fellas, I want to start with a little bit of a hot take, and I want to get your impression on this. My opinion is that this early signing period is more important than anyone we've seen in recent years, and I'm going to tell you why. It's basically two reasons. Number one, You've got the COVID year getting farther and farther away, which means there is a smaller percentage of college basketball that can come back with their additional year of eligibility. And number two, the NCA is making it very clear this far this this fall that they are not approving these two-time transfer waivers. And in my mind, that means that the onus is again starting to shift back to the high school ranks as one of the best ways to add immediate impact talent. What do you two think about that, Trav? I will start with you. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, there's just a limited number of, uh, of immediately eligible players uh, coming in for next year with what you said, the, the COVID years uh, moving on and also the transfer portal guys not being allowed to transfer two times. I'd also add that just also put more emphasis um, and importance on the 2023 recruiting class. The 2023 and 2024, we've, both, we've all talked about for a long time that they're down classes. Um, so also having gone into 2023, having a successful recruiting cycle there, because most of those guys will be multi-year guys that will be returning uh, for their sophomore season. So not only 2024 is important, but I would also add on to that, that 2023 was also equally mm. important. Okay. Now let's talk about some of those classes in particular. As we look at these groups, there's a lot of blue bloods right back on the top of college basketball. There's been plenty of changes. People, you know, John Shire recruiting at a high level, uh, continuing to recruit at a high level. People are questioning John Calipari. Guess what? He delivered. He's got a top two class in the country. So, Ibas, we look at the, the national class rankings and Duke right back up there at the top. One of the things I've said about this Duke class, though, is that there could be wholesale changes next year for the Blue Devils. And so the question I pose to you, given that they have Cooper Flag and company coming in, is this enough right now? It's interesting. I think one, you know, you never have enough, right? Especially when you're relying on so many young players. I do think that the adding Patrick Gongba late was huge for them, getting that piece in the middle, because I don't know how much you can count on Christian Reeves to keep developing. Um, to be ready to play a big role next year. But it's interesting to me because they're going from, they've got kind of a weird balance between these classes because you're going from a class that seemed to be like kind of power forward-ish heavy last year with, you know, TJ Powers and, and, and Stewart and all those guys. So now you've got a super wing heavy class with, you got Flag who figures to slide into the four. Then you've got Isaiah Evans, Conkin Apple, and Darren Harris. And then maybe you're gonna add BJ Edge come to this. It's kind of a, a unique group to find minutes for, especially if you've got a Jared McCain back, um, you know, potentially Cale Foster back, stuff like this. So it's a lot of pieces, but I think them probably more than any other any other school with how their recruiting class currently looks versus how their 
current roster looks is going to be really interesting because I don't know that there's a lot of guys on that, that current Duke team. Like I think we can assume Tyrese Proctor is going to be gone, but what happens with the rest of those guys is really going to shape how this team looks next year. And it could be a really kind of a funky rocker roster construction and real difficult to find minutes for all those guys. You know what I think is the most underrated part of John Shire's tenure thus far as head coach. I think that initial recruiting class he put together back when he was still the head coach in waiting really kind of set the standard or solidified the standard and said like, Hey, the whole, the whole brotherhood brand, like that's not going anywhere. They're going to continue to recruit at this level, but it's the retention that I think is, is been so key. Like Kyle Filipowski and Tyrese Proctor, I think you can make the argument that they had certainly had a chance to be first round picks had they gone last year. And in most years, those two kids, um, those two kids probably go to the draft, but because they come back to Duke, now Duke is considered one of the best programs in the country. So it's going to be interesting to see who they can retain from this year's roster, because I think it's very possible the whole starting five is out. And when you, you look at McCain and Foster in an NBA draft that, that has like zero clarity right now, um, I think it's conceivable you could have your top seven at least explore the NBA draft. Um, all right. I want to shift to Travis's alma mater here. And this is Kentucky. Kentucky came into the the week, the early signing period, with quite a bit of questions, but they have delivered answers as of yet. And I should also say, we're recording this on a Wednesday morning. It's possible they have another answer come into the fold by the time this becomes public. So, Trav, I'm going to pose to you the same question I asked the EBOS, and that's, Kentucky has a top two class in the country, but have they done enough at this point? That's a good question because uh, a lot's going to be dependent upon what this roster looks like next year because you have a lot of potential one-and-done talent. Rob Dillingham, a guy I personally uh, had question marks uh, surrounding coming into the season, would be would he be a one-and-done? And it looks like he's going to be. Uh, DJ Wagner, you anticipate leaving, but continue to fill out where this roster will stand at the end of the year. Um, we'll we'll kind of illuminate what other gaps they need to fill but as of right now, this has been a very impressive recruiting cycle for John Calipari. Uh, they entered, as you said, the early signing period. They're ranked outside the top 20, now stand at the number two overall class and getting a guy like Jaden Quaintance, who's going to be around for two years um, unless he decides to potentially explore like a G League Ignite route after a freshman season type situation. Um, it's been a, a very strong uh, showing. And like you said, they're not done yet. They could continue to add guys that we're going to continue watching very very closely first and foremost billy richmond uh, a slashing dynamic wing uh, who's an explosive athlete and a dog of a defender and also bj edgecomb um, now you add i would expect they're going to get one of those two um, and then you're going to look to the portal um, but at this point with what they've built this foundation that they've built with boogie flan travis perry um, and Santos, I real, I would say it's a pretty solid foundation at the very least, um, depending, I would even say the worst case scenario, if they were to lose six or seven guys off of this year's roster is a good foundation to head into the portal with. And you know what I like about this group? Like for years, Cal had, had really emphasized one and done and everything was about one and done. But if you watch the, the, uh, champions classic, like 
Reed Shepard, he's going to be a multi-year player and he's a good college basketball player. He's, he's going to give them continuity. And so you see them take a, a kid like Travis Perry. He's, he's not a one and done. Like nobody's, nobody's calling him a one and done, but he's a, he's a culture guy. He's a skilled guy. He's going to give add to Reed Shepard. And now you're going to get more continuity than I think this team has had. And, and, and again, as we, as we enter this this kind of next segment of college recruiting where transfers could potentially get a little harder, they can have some, some home, homegrown continuity, if you will. All right, third team in our rankings right now is Missouri, and we've talked about this team a bunch. They are doing an incredible job rebanding that program. They've got Honor Botang, Peyton Marshall, Marcus Allen, T.O. Barrett, and Trent Burns. It's to me, um, it's a kind of a replica of what we saw in Florida State back in the day where you have some massive size in the middle and then you've got a lot of length athleticism and multi-positional players on the perimeter um, there's no doubt that they have done a tremendous job with that class but now with the fourth ranked class uh, in the country following the late commitment of Trey Johnson is going to be Texas so Ebos, I'm going to go back to you on this one because I know you followed both Trey and Texas recruiting, but give them credit here. They, you know, in a year in which they had a lot to prove because Rodney Terry took over, they made that run. He had a terrific season last year and he got the contract deservedly so, but then it was, the question was, okay, can you sustain the Texas brand on the recruiting trail? And I think he's answered that question. Yeah, no doubt. Um, obviously Trey Johnson is a top five player in the country, big time scorer, can shoot, can put it on the floor a little bit. I think we all know about him. He's an in-state kid. I think everyone knows it goes back to Rodney Terry, even coached Trey's father back in the day at Baylor when he was a young assistant. So there's lots of stuff there, but you know, they getting things started off with Camp Scott was important, I thought. This yeah. was one where they came in and took a kid. What's interesting, I think every single kid in this class is somebody that at least maybe halfway through or getting closer to the end of the recruitment is a kid that people thought was going elsewhere. Camp Scott, mm. a lot of people had headed to Oregon after his official visit there, but Texas was able to turn the tide and get that done. Trey Johnson, I think a lot of people had penciled in for Baylor. They were able to turn the tide and get that done. And then Nick Cody, who I think is absolutely hard to call a top 50-ish guy, an X factor in a class, but in terms of a guy who has a ceiling that he's not quite reached yet and a lot of untapped potential, as a 6'9", kind of toolsy face-up four-man, He's a guy that has huge upside for them and projects as a multi-year player. And he's another one where they came back and overtook Houston to land the key in-state guys. So it's not just putting together a top five class. It's, you know, getting in there, bearing down and refusing to let people beat them on their targets that impressed me most. Rounding out the top five at this point is North Carolina. Travis, I will go back to you. We've talked a lot about Drake Powell in recent months. Uh, you've been advocating for his rise, which which came uh, came to be uh, in this spring and summer. Um, but it's been about a year now that you've been advocating for his rise. I think the big story for North Carolina, though, is that not only did Drake Powell sign, but that Ian Jackson signed because there was so much speculation about Rick Pitino and St. John's making a push to keep him at home. And listen, we all know that an NIL isn't quite as binding as it used to be. So they're going to have to continue to re-recruit Ian Jackson. But the fact that he signed his NIL is a uh, NLI, I should say, because those two things get confusing, Freudian slip. Um, that's big for, for North Carolina. It solidified their top five class. And when you look at Drake Powell and Ian Jackson coming in and kind of the, 
the wing and the guard spots, I think this is potentially uh, really huge for Hubert Davis. Yeah, no question. Um, and like you said, Ian Jackson, even though he signed, uh, I think this is going to be one that we're going to continue talking about right. all the way until the day he gets on campus. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a huge uh, development nonetheless, getting both of these guys to sign. Um, just talking on Drake Powell, uh, we've talked about him countless times on here, but what he brings to the floor and how he can impact winning with his defense, his versatility, and overall utility out on the court. He can, he's a guy that can get into the paint, finds open shooters. He's a very willing and unselfish player. Um, and, and then he's also improving shooter from three, not a focal point type guy on the offensive end. Um, he is one guy I could see sliding two, three spots in these rankings as guys like B.J. Edgecombe continue to make jumps. Jane Quaintance, another one. Um, so wouldn't be sweating that too much. But again, uh, he's had uh, such a significant development over the past two years. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. And then Ian Jackson, he was one of my top performers in all USA basketball. It's just a setting he continues to shine in. Um, so yeah, Huber Davis continuing to roll on the recruiting trail. He had There's definitely some question marks surrounding the North Carolina program and how they would recruit nationally. Um, and they're finally back inside the top five of the national rankings, something we haven't seen in some time. And I know Tar Heel fans are very excited about that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, two more programs I want to ask you guys about from outside the top five, but both within the top 10. Um, Eboss, I want to ask you about Kansas because it seems somewhat counterintuitive that this class is no longer ranked within the top five in the country. Currently, they're sixth within our rankings, but they have hit uh, pretty much, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the vast majority of their major targets here with Flory Badunga, LeBaron, LeBaron Fillon, and Rakis Passmore. First of all, correct my pronunciations. And then uh, let us know if, if I mean, has Bill Self gotten, with maybe the exception of Liam McNeely, everybody that he's really targeted thus far? Um, Yes and no, because, you know, they went hard after Jaleel Bethea before mm -hmm. shifting to, to LeBaron. And they obviously spent a lot of time invested in Cooper Flag, And then once they realized that wasn't happening, they shift to Rakis. But here's what's really clear about with the way they recruited is they never stopped recruiting something. Because obviously, Flory was a big priority. They got him done. They beat out the world for him. He's a rim-running postman who's going to catch a bazillion lobs and protect the rim for Bill Self. It's, you, you see him working out. But the key with when you're talking about LeBaron and Rakis is the way they handled those recruitments was 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 pretty slick and really it goes to show how honesty in a recruiting process can still pay off. They told those guys that, hey, we want you. We're gonna to continue to recruit you, but hey, LeBaron, you gotta understand we're involved with Jaleel Bethea right now and we're not saying you're our number two, but like we need to see what's happening with him before we can really make a move on you. As soon as they got a sense that Jaleel wasn't gonna happen, they boom, entire staff is down at Link Academy seeing him. They got him on campus and they got him done. Boom, they wrapped it up in a week. Rakeese Passmore, as soon as they're out on Cooper Flag, 
they walked in and they seemed to get that recruitment done in a span of about 48 hours between meeting with him, getting him on campus and him lining up an announcement with us. He's one to announce live with us as, as everyone remembers. So it's, I don't think it's fair to characterize that they hit on their primary target in each one, but they did an incredible job of keeping secondary, con- um, you know, say their, their one B's warm and in a position where, they never offended them. They never made them want to look elsewhere. And they kept them warm if they were able to swoop right in and get them. And that's, you know, that's Bill Self having a lot of experience in the game and knowing what he's doing. And obviously, we're, we're in a new era with a lot of other things involved where Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, the Blue Bloods are all set up to, to handle some of these recruitment situations better than some other schools. And, you know, they use all the tools that are available to them and they get it done. You know, one of the things I've liked to say over the years is is it's great if you're going to target the five-star players, but you better have a contingency plan if you don't get them. And to your point, Bill Self, um, I, I don't know that it's fair to call them contingency plans, but he didn't put, uh, you know, all his eggs in one basket, so to speak, and was was ready to pick up the pieces and, and have a, uh, you know, take that pivot as quickly as possible and ends up with a currently a top six class in the country. Trav, the, the class I want to ask you about is Rutgers. Um, and they got the Ace Bailey signature, top three prospect in the class, um, and they've got some complementary, uh, some some other supporting pieces. But they also seem to be the favorite at this point for Dylan Harper. So I want to ask you about the significance of getting the class they have and also where they stand in Harper's pursuit coming out of this period. Yeah, it's a very intriguing class. Obviously, Ace Bailey's the headliner here. Uh, an absolute elite talent, explosive athlete at six foot eight, pushing six foot nine, three level score, plays really hard, great energy, going to be a fan favorite, no doubt about it, at Rutgers. Um, and then again, getting three other complimentary pieces that all have very intriguing long-term upside and how they can fill out roles um, within this program. But yeah, Dylan Harper, uh, things are looking increasingly likely that he will end up playing uh, for the Scarlet Knights um, as we exit the signing period, um, we're filming this on Wednesday morning. Uh, we are not anticipating a commitment or signature out of Harper during this period. Um, however, we, we do anticipate this will continue playing out for the next month, month and a half. Uh, but from here on out, I fully anticipate that Rutgers is completely in the driver's seat here and would be uh, pretty surprised if anything were to go differently. Um, from this point moving forward. So there is a very good chance, like a very good chance that Rutgers not only has the number three overall recruit in the country, but also the number two overall recruit in the country and Dylan Harper. And I don't think, I mean, I haven't been doing this that long, but could either of you ever honestly predict that that would be happening at Rutgers? Never. Those are those are uh, those are unprecedented uh, large nails that Steve Peichel is pounding to to quote John Rothstein, because I I don't just the brand of the program, what they've been able to do. And um, not just Steve Peichel, but you got to give Brandon Knight a ton of credit here. I mean, his role in, in securing this class and then the job that they did with Harper's older brother. I mean, the fact of the matter is. If he doesn't have a good career playing for Steve Peichel, if the family doesn't believe in Steve Peichel, then Dylan isn't even considering this. So I think it's it's you know it's it's definitely a linear escalation, not just of taking care of the guys in the program first and foremost, but of building your brand uh, one step at a time. 
Um, all right. We talked about Harper. We've also talked about VJ Edgecombe. They are two of, as we record this, the best, they are the two highest ranked prospects left on the board, but there's a couple others that I am intrigued with um, coming out of the early signing period that as we record this have not signed and we don't necessarily anticipate signing. First one, Ebos, I want to ask you about Derek Queen, Montford Academy. This is someone that, that, you know, a month ago, I think most of us expected would sign early, but now it appears as if he won't. What's the latest there? Yeah, so Travis scooped us last week with some good sources that Derek definitely was not going to sign. I think he's a guy that's right now still pretty confused on what he wants to do. Uh, we've all heard Maryland. We've all heard Indiana. They continue to be right there pushing and are certainly very, very involved. But, you know, I think he's really wanting to take the time now and actually watch these guys. Like we talk about these guys mm -hmm. and we talk about all the time that these kids watch the teams that are recruiting them far less than the average fan assumes them to do. You know, we would think that's all they do, but they're kids. They play video games. They hang out on social media and stuff like that. And so I think Derek has entered that phase where he's really actually taking the time to watch these guys and say, hey, does does what they're telling me about how they'll use me line up? You know, would I fit playing next to a, to a Julian Reese at Maryland if, if he doesn't go pro? You know, is Khalil Ware for sure going to be on his way out at Indiana mm. in the NBA? You know, and then he's also hanging around and you got Kansas and Houston just kind of hanging around there. You know, I think Kansas, if they could sell him on the fact that Hunter Dickinson is gone after this year, that they could become dangerous in this recruitment. But that's going to be a tough sell because Hunter Dickinson, while an incredible college player, just isn't popping up on many draft lists. And frankly, if you're Kansas, you would probably rather have a fifth-year Hunter Dickinson than a freshman Derek Queen. I think that's pretty, pretty easy, pretty easy calculus on this, right? So there's still some time to unfold. I, I, would, I would still expect Indiana or Maryland, but you know, clearly this thing is far from over. Clearly, he's a guy who is in a state of flux. All right, Trav, the one I want to ask you about, another player who we initially thought would be signing early, but now appears to be in a holding pattern, and that is Darion Reed. I mean, this guy had a commitment date set. We were we were all waiting for it, and then it was, and then it was, you know, hold on a second. So where does where does he stand in the process right now? Honestly, I'm gonna hockey assist this over back to Boston. <laughs> He's been the one that has been leading the charge on this. He's been doing a phenomenal job covering Darion Reed. But I'll just say this, going back to when he was going to commit, I was there was a lot of Alabama buzz. I mean, I was fully anticipating him ending up at Georgia. Um, Me too. All the information pointed to Georgia getting their second five-star commitment. Um, but things are changing, it seems. And again, I'm going to hockey assist the bossy because he has been all over it. All right, hockey assist means you get two assists. So, bossy, I'm going to add my assist before we go to you. Like, I'm, I'm going to echo what Trav said, like, I had the I had the uh, Georgia analysis written. I had the Georgia graphic made, like just getting ready to hit send. And the reason I bring this up is because the narrative on like social media is that it was Alabama until the last second. I think it was Georgia until the last second. And so I, I don't know how that impacts where we stand now, but I do think there's some misinformation right now on social media about what happened leading up to to the delay of his announcement but two hockey assists to you yeah i think the long and the short of it is is this that we were expecting georgia i think we had really good reason to expect so based on how we had sourced this thing but i think when it came time for darion to speak with his family and say this is what i want to do 
there was some uncertainty and his mom put the brakes on it and said, or his family put the brakes and said, Hey, we're not going to have any decommitting. We're not going to have any uncertainty. We're going to make sure, because I do think that there was definitely some back and forth among people between Darion's family, those who matter to him, between Alabama and Georgia, as things came down to the stretch. And now we're back open and, you know, it, and he's we're wide this, open, right? Yeah. We're, we're yeah, not expecting he, this to be just those got, two schools. Yeah. He's got this, you know, Alabama and, and Georgia are still going to be the two out front in whichever order you want to put them. Florida State is still right there. But man, now that he's gotten through this signing period, there's a lot of programs out there that are about to come in guns blazing on this kid. And, and speaking to a couple of people close to it, you know, I don't think it would be a surprise if he ultimately ended up committing to a school outside of this top three. Now we'll see. He's got to actually officially, you know, open up his recruitment or whatever. And we'll see if that does come to fruition. But I don't think anyone would be at all surprised to see this one turn into a pretty active recruitment throughout the winter. All right, everybody, that is a look at where things stand now as we wrap up the early signing period and head towards the winter, not just college season, but high school season. As always, we will continue to have everything monitored here for you on 247sports.com and on the 247 Sports channel. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.